tonight is the biggest highlight reel of all time because my guest is me. Welcome to the Walder Sportscast with your host, Chris Walder. Welcome everyone to episode four of the Walder Sportscast. As always, I'm Chris Walder. Feel free to follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports. On this episode, I'll be joined by the Emmy Award-winning John Alba from Spectrum Sports 360 out in the Orlando, Florida area. He's also one of the hosts of the Living the Gimmick Wrestling podcast, which he does alongside Doug McDonald. I had the privilege of working alongside him for a stretch at a site called WrestlingRumors.net back in the day, so I'm really happy to have him on the show. We'll be talking some professional wrestling, some Orlando Magic basketball, and even the possibility of the NBA finishing out the season in his backyard of Disney World. But before we get to John, just a friendly reminder to check out my last episode when I had my good friend and former NBA news editor from The Score, Will Seguir, on. I'm really proud of that show. We talked about our time with the company, the Miami Heat, since he's a massive Heat fan and even had some fun chatting about Tim Horton's iced caps of all things, and the television show Friends, where he revealed that he was a Ross Geller fan. So if you haven't listened to that, please check it out. A high recommend from yours truly, although of course I am biased since it's my show. But with that being said, after this short break, John Alba will be with me, so keep it locked. now is John Alba, a sports reporter for Spectrum Sports 360 out in the Orlando, Florida area. He's also a host and producer of the Living the Gimmick Wrestling Podcast and an Emmy Award winner. John, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, man, where'd you find my resume? I'm a little, uh, little verklempt. Here God that, bless Chris. the LinkedIn page, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. I do my research here. Yeah, man. No, it's it's been a while. I'm I'm glad catching up with you, chatting with you. You and I used to be colleagues, and uh, it's it's fun getting ready to talk some sports, wrestling, whatever we want, chat. It feels like forever ago that you and I wrote for WrestlingRumors.net, a site that's clearly undergone some changes since we've been there. Yeah, to say the least, just just a few changes and. It was an eternity ago, but you know what? I'm I'm glad for the experience and it it man, whew, you're right. It's I, I think I started working on that website almost eight years ago, so it's it's been a long time. Well, I was very fortunate to work with you during that time, and let me just say off the off the bat that I knew working alongside you, doing shows with you, talking wrestling with you, that you were just gonna make it huge in this industry. And I was right. You're proving me right on a daily basis. <sighs> Huge is uh, subjective, but but I I, <laughs> I I appreciate it, and you know I, I feel uh, I feel very strongly about your accomplishments as well, Chris. And uh, hey, let's 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 talk some shop here. Well, since we worked together, you've won a bloody Emmy award when you were an associate producer for MLB Tonight. Can you please describe to me what that moment was like when you found out that you and your team had won the award? And this is coming from a guy who will likely never reach such a level of success. It, ML, working at MLB Network on the other side of the camera was really, really such a dream experience for me because I, I love all sports, but at my heart, I'm a baseball junkie and getting to work at MLB Network, and this was just before the merger with NHL Network, 
where they kind of took NHL in. So it was pretty much exclusively just baseball. It was awesome. And obviously, you know, I mean, the Emmy's a trophy. It's it's a piece of metal and, and I'm super grateful for it. But it was more about the experience and getting to work with ball players that I grew up watching. Pedro Martinez, John Smoltz, the likes of all those guys. That's what will be left with me more than anything else, Chris. And I look back at those days so fondly. I'm still in touch with so many people there. And who knows, one day it'd be a dream to get back there on the other side of the camera. And yeah, just incredible memories. I guess the most important question when it comes to your Emmy is, have you used it as a foreign object? Because I've seen you carry that award around when you're working shows for Limitless Wrestling. It's almost like you know, Jimmy Hart's megaphone or, or Jim Cornette's tennis racket. Have you whacked anybody over the head with that thing? So, yeah. So I, I work on the independent wrestling scene as the Emmy Award winning John Alba, who I want to say is different than John Alba. They're two different people. Okay. <laughs> one, one, sure. One might be turned up to 14, but it was uh, we're kind of figuring out the Emmy Award winning character. It was so, it was just such a natural thing. Like, you, you're looking for that niche in pro wrestling when you're trying to find out who you are, what your character is. And in talking about it with some people when trying to come up with the character, it was like, well, who else in pro wrestling can say that they have this? So let's exploit that, right? Like, let's, right. Let, let, me, let me go out there and be as obnoxious as possible. I am greater than you because I have this little gold statue, and that means that I have accomplished more in life than you have, and you will never live up to me. And it was such a natural <laughs> genesis. And God, I mean, if, if anyone listening to this has no concept of how pro wrestling works, they probably think I'm just the biggest jerk in the world, which might be true. But um, no, of, of course, uh, yeah, the Emmy has been used as a foreign object very carefully. Of course, I've, I've warned wrestlers working with it. Uh, you break it, you buy it. So they are more more than often not careful with it. And um, yeah, man. It it has been such a cool experience kind of getting to tap into something that was a lifelong dream of mine and, and getting to work in independent wrestling. I've had matches like like it's super crazy. And I definitely go for that combination of a Jim Cornette and Jimmy Hart. I think that's the perfect two guys that you can reference when talking about the character. And yes, there's the Jimmy Hart aspect of I run all the way around the ring. The Jim Cornette, you talk a big game and you always get your comeuppance. So yeah, man, it's it's been just awesome getting to do that across New England, and I've worked in a few other parts of the country, and it's awesome. I might even declare you as the bump king, because I saw a recent Twitter post of yours when you were, it's that meme that's going around, like 2020 <laughs> in my plans, and you took a nasty landing oh, on your man. neck. Like, you were kicked by another wrestler. Oh right? man, that was from, I want to say 2017, I worked a match managing a guy named Alex Chamberlain who has one of the coolest promotions in the country. He owns a promotion in Miami, Florida called Florida Supercon Wrestling and right. Super Florida Supercon Championship Wrestling. And the matches are each character is like a comic book character or a movie character. So you could okay. have Skeletor facing Batman in a pro wrestling match. It's wild. So he owns oh, that, boy. but this this was in Limitless Wrestling and I managed him against a guy named Mr. Grimm. And uh, after the match, they both realized they had common ground, and it was that they didn't like me. And after I got <laughs> slapped by Alex Chamberlain, I turned around right into a brogue kick from 
from uh, Mr. Grimm, who quite literally, and, you know, people say, oh, it's a bump or something. Mr. Grimm quite literally kicked me out of my feet. And I went head over heels, <laughs> or heels over head in my case. And then I got put in a body bag. So that was really wow. an experience. <laughs> yeah. can, can you please describe what it's like to be in a body bag? So I was there at the event with my girlfriend at the time. And I said to her beforehand, listen, there's like a good chance that I may be put in a body bag tonight. And I need you to be okay with this if you want to see this. <laughs> and that was a weird conversation. But I was told, just hold your breath, breathe through your mouth if you need to, and close your eyes. So that's what I did. But hearing the crowd reaction, I doubt there's ever been anyone in the world who's been so happy to be put in a body bag. <laughs> it's all worth it at the end of the all day when it. you do something like that. You hear that reaction. It's all part of the chase, Chris. Well, let me just say, you took that bump like an absolute champ, and that meme is just gold. Appreciate that. But this kind of leads me into professional wrestling as a whole these days, because we're looking at the top dogs in the industry right now, WWE, AEW, they're continuing to hold these shows in empty arenas. And as someone who's a genuine, genuine fan of wrestling like yourself, someone who works for a promotion and covers it in your podcasts, as you sit there watching these shows, is there any part of you that thinks, you know, now is not the time to be having live or even taped shows considering the circumstances with COVID-19? I think that that is something immediately that goes through your head when you're looking at it from afar and you're saying, would I feel comfortable personally performing in this setting or working in this setting? And my initial reaction was no, I wouldn't personally. That doesn't mean others wouldn't be. I, I think pro wrestling being, at least in the state of Florida, being qualified as essential business is, is really something when, when right. all is said and done. And I, if you followed my reporting on social media at John Alba, you kind of saw I, I did some pretty deep investigative stuff into that with the governor of Florida and how WWE achieved its essential business status potentially. And AEW followed suit on that. I, I don't think that it it merits the. I don't think the risk merits the reward. I don't think there has been much of a reward. I think we're seeing ratings and viewership are not reflecting that there's much of an interest for pro wrestling right now, at least on that stage. And yes. while I love pro wrestling and I'll always take pro wrestling, I think what better time would there have been for people to rest up, recharge, renew interest in product? Because when you could promise people, hey, we're coming back, and you put that target date, it gives you a chance to relaunch, all refreshed and recharged. And I think it would have been there, Chris. I think the interest would have been there, whereas now it feels a little oversaturated. And that's always a question that's run through my head, and I'm going to ask it to you now. Are we ever going to see a wrestling offseason in our lifetime, at least for companies that are running weekly television? Because this pandemic seemed at one point like an appropriate time to just shut everything down. But in an era with television deals being as high as they are, that almost feels impossible to do, unfortunately. You say that, but then also we're at a stage right now where there are no live sports for the most part. Obviously, there's a few exceptions, but mm -hmm. Major League Baseball, the NBA, the NHL, they're not fulfilling their television contracts right now. And yet they're able to get through all of this all of these entities have content that they have to offer these these respective outlets. 
WWE especially has a ton of content that they could have to offer. AEW has done a nice job building its library as well. It's there. I don't think it was necessary. Will I be upset that I'm getting to watch live wrestling? No, I love pro wrestling and I love getting a chance to watch it. I don't think we're ever going to see an off-season. I think that would require a pro wrestling union and I don't think we're ever going to see a pro wrestling union. So I think that's just as simple as that. And again, you've done like so much fantastic work during this pandemic Thank covering you. all of the news that's coming out of Florida with WWE being deemed an essential service. You also had that video from last month, I believe, that gained a lot of traction with the unknown employee. What was his name? John that was speaking out? Presumably John Doe. Presumably John Doe, of course. And uh, it's saying that employees were being forced to work. From what you know now, what you've been hearing during this entire span and everything in between... How would you grade WWE's performance during this pandemic in terms of the safety of its employees, potential testing, and everything that falls under that umbrella from what you've seen and heard? I I obviously can't speak to how they're doing because I'm not there. I'm not at the WWE Performance Center. Of course. Getting tested or anything to that degree. I, I had spoken with several WWE talent, and I, I had known that a lot of them were at least in the initial stages of all this, as you saw through some of the reporting, a lot were uncomfortable with being put into that setting. But I think now we're kind of at the point where they've accepted that this is their job, this is their responsibility, and they're choosing to rise to that occasion. More and more talent have started to be used, in, including in the matter of the way that they are running tapings. AEW is allegedly, according to Cody on this week's uh, media conference call that they are doing multiple forms of COVID-19 testing whenever they have tapings and everyone is subject to it. Cody said he himself has to go through temperature checks twice a day just to go to his office. So that's all I can speak to. And if those are the precautions they're taking, that's great. I personally, Chris, think it's a little funny hearing some people say, well, we got to do away with the pro wrestling handshake now backstage. But meanwhile, that comes after they've been rubbing up on each other's bodies Exactly. all sweaty and then it seems <laughs> it seems a little pointless at that point you may as well just shake hands like you're you've gone the extra mile your hands are mm-hmm. all over each other so it's hard for me to assign a grade per se but i just can only say that i hope everyone is taking as strong as precautions as they can in these times we don't know a lot about this disease still we don't know how far a vaccine is we don't know how far a treatment is so you if you're willing to take the risk, you need to at least do everything in your power to ensure that you're cutting down on risk of transmission. Well, as a wrestling fan, when you're watching a Raw or a SmackDown or a Dynamite every single week, do you get that same thrill out of being a wrestling fan, knowing that, hey, there's no fans in attendance, there's not that that crowd reaction, you know, for heels and baby faces, you're not getting that same aura? It's hard, because, like, I, 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 it's twofold for me, because pro wrestling is so dependent on feeding off of the fans for a reaction, right? And Mm -hmm. you need to find a way to engage them. And and that is your only way of determining your bar of how successful that you can be. As I just said to you before, the whole thing with the body bag, it's like you're in there, but you're hearing the crowd going crazy. So you're like, that was worth it. That was awesome. You can't really gauge that in these shows. And it's hard to tell if a guy like Drew McIntyre is genuinely getting over because there's no way to really gauge it. And you can book him as strong as you want to, which they have. Drew McIntyre has been protected more than just about anybody 
that we've seen in the last five years of pro wrestling. But how do we know if he's getting over? Because viewership is certainly not reflecting it. That's not his fault per se. But if there's no crowd to gauge it, what can we say to that? So I say it's twofold because I've also worked independent television tapings or studio tapings that they call them where there are no fans and it's just you in a warehouse with the performers and you have the match in front of a closed set. So that's a different kind of thrill. I was never a big fan of it, but now I think we're starting to see that it is something viable in terms of getting content out there, right? No, no, absolutely. And you mentioned the name Drew McIntyre. Would you say he's the superstar or performer for any company right now that's been hurt the most by not having a crowd reaction? Like, WrestleMania was supposed to be this guy's crowning moment. He wins the world championship against Brock Lesnar. But again, there's no one in attendance, and he hasn't had an audience in the weeks that's followed. Has Drew kind of been hindered by this lack of reaction, or is there another superstar, male or female, that comes to mind? Yeah, I think Drew McIntyre is probably the biggest casualty of all of this when all said mm-hmm. and done for all the reasons that I kind of talked about before. On the other side of the spectrum, I think people like Asuka have benefited from this kind of environment where her personality maybe has been allowed to show a little more and look at the position that she is being put in. A guy like Braun Strowman who was thrown into the Universal Championship picture out of nowhere it's kind of hard to say how things are reflected on him. SmackDown mm-hmm. viewership is not strong right now. Are, are people invested in Braun Strowman as the universal champion? I'm not so sure that they are. And on the other end, in AEW, you're seeing some talent rise to the occasion in these settings. So I think it's a matter of what you make of it. Like someone like Britt Baker, whose personality has been accentuated through all of this. So... I think it's almost an independent variable and and I feel for Drew in the same way that you said where WrestleMania was going to be that crowning moment and he didn't get it. And I say I was watching AEW Dynamite last night and the name that came to mind that I feel was getting hurt a lot and this comes as an example from other matches that he's had in recent weeks is Orange Cassidy, a character who I think is you know, needs that crowd reaction. Like that's a good chunk of his character right there. When he puts his hands into his pockets, when he gives the thumbs up to the crowd and he doesn't have that. And I think that's hurt him a lot. It does. But ironically, you look at some of the metrics with AEW viewership and some of the highest segments that they're drawing on TV are when Orange Cassidy's on. So I think fans are still invested in him, but you're right. It, it does visually have some sort of impairment on the character because he does rely off of that response. The fans are in on the gag. Yes. It's hard not to be a little disappointed. Like last night when I was watching Phoenix and Orange Cassidy, that's one of those matches where you wish there was like 10, 15,000 people in the building for that. Right, exactly. And how many of those matches have we seen? You know, we're going to see Edge and Orton in the greatest wrestling match ever at this coming Backlash show. And yeah, that, that match would probably go over significantly better with fans in attendance, but probably probably not so much the greatest wrestling match ever. I, I want to say this. I don't think anyone can have the greatest wrestling match ever in an empty environment. I don't think Flair and Steamboat could. I don't think Omega mm-hmm. and Okada could. I don't think Randy Orton and Edge could. It's pretty much impossible. Entirely. 
what, 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 what was your initial thought when you heard them label Edge and Randy Orton as quite possibly the greatest match of all time? Was that just a little too overboard for your taste? We have a segment on Living the Gimmick called Waste of the Week, and it won. So it, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's as simple as that. I, it had it's, to. It's WWE verbiage, which, look, they've been doing that for the past 30 years, and that's fine. But it's the idea that nothing exists outside of these walls, whereas... It doesn't have to be that way. There are other promotions out there who recognize, hey, some of the biggest stars in our industry came from outside of our walls. Exactly. And that doesn't mean we can't, that doesn't mean we have to be disrespectful to them. Uh, as far as, as Edge and Randy Orton go, I, I watched WrestleMania this year live. I was quite disappointed by that last man standing match that they had. I felt it went way too long. I thought it was just kind of a lot of filler, just kind of going from place to place until they got to the finish on top of that truck. How would you grade that match months later? Is that something that got too much hate at the time? Or do you think it was rightfully, you know, hated on? They all, they both work super hard in the match. I don't think it's right to hate on anything when you have performers giving their all and doing everything they can. But look at the systematic disadvantage that they were at. They had to go out there, do a long match in front of no fans in a match that is almost entirely dependent on the crowd being emotionally invested live. So sure. when you pigeonhole yourself in that situation, what can you do? Not a lot, unfortunately. No, and you can't. I think that match was definitely hindered for that and, and not having that reaction. And, and it was such a shame too, because it's Edge's first singles match after such a long hiatus because of his neck injury. And I think it was unfortunate for him more so than anybody else greatest wrestling match ever man just thinking about that <laughs> I just, they're uh, playing from behind with that i just uh and, and i always say this chris like you should always put yourself in the best position to succeed you should never set yourself up for failure so when you put something like that out and it doesn't live up to the expectations you oh. systematically <laughs> set yourself back and uh, that's probably what's going to happen with this match at Backlash. But hey, I've been wrong before. This could get a, be a five-star class. It could be the greatest wrestling stars. match ever, for all I know. It very well could be, but I wouldn't put any money on that. Me neither. But hey, again, I've been wrong before. Unlike WWE, one company slash league that did not that uh, that did shut down is the NBA, of course. And all it took was one positive test for everything to go haywire. I know you're an Orlando Magic guy, obviously being in the area, you were there for the team's media day. I also saw a sit down interview you had with head coach Steve Clifford, which was really awesome. The team had a 30 and 35 record prior to the shutdown, so they weren't going anywhere anytime soon. Is that where you envisioned the Magic being at that point of the season, an eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, or are you disappointed by their performance up until that point? Well, first off, thank you for checking out some of that stuff. That Steve Clifford piece took almost a year to put together, so that was a really? lot of work put into that, yes. Well, it was uh, fantastic. Thank you, because it was about his roots in Maine, small-town Maine, so that was, uh, that was a pretty long preparation piece, but... I think if you're talking the magic right now, first off, I want to say this. Does it not seem like an eternity ago that we had the NBA season? Like It, it feels it, like forever it ago. It doesn't even seem like it was in the same calendar year, let alone it was two and a half months ago. 
I forget so much about this. <laughs> right. Like, like I, I'm like pulling up all my notes here and everything. I'm like, oh, that's right. The Magic were five games below 500. No. I think this year has been a little disappointing for the Magic because I think they were expecting to build off of a strong season last year and take a small step forward, you know, maybe be in the conversation for a five, six seed right now. There were some predictions preseason that had them as a four seed. I thought that was a little generous. But I think you were expecting to see a, a little bit of an improvement. They really struggled in terms of defensive consistency, which is supposed to be Steve Clifford's strong suit. He's a defensive-minded head coach, and he's usually really great at getting that best effort out of them. And there were a lot of times this year in close games where the Magic were not able to get that done. The Magic also are in desperate need of a perennial score. They need one severely, and, and they've been reaping the benefits of a strong season from Markel Fultz, who really has come along and done well, but they've also been severely, severely hampered by injuries, losing Jonathan Isaac when he was having a career year to this point. Uh, Nikola Vucevic was out for about two months of the season. Al Farouk Aminu, who they invested a ton in to be a strong defensive presence in the post, they lost him due to injury for the season as well. So mm -hmm. you're severely hampered, and when you didn't go out in the offseason and try to bolster yourself offensively, you kind of pigeonhole yourself. Yeah, I, I think they, if the season were to have continued as normal, I think they still would have been fine as an eight seed in the playoffs, maybe even squeaking up to the seven. But either way, you're going against two extremely talented teams in either the Bucks or the Raptors, who last year, as we saw, uh, the Raptors came in and took care of business at Amway thank Center. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and, and listen, I was covering both of those playoff games. They were a blast. They were a ton of fun to cover at Amway Center. The Magic got game one up in Toronto. So, Don't remind me. <laughs> so it, I, I will say most of those games in those series were pretty competitive, and they were fun basketball games to watch. So when, when the Magic are accentuated as competitors and Aaron Gordon is playing to his potential... You know, they're a team that can hang in there with just about anybody, but the consistent all-around effort hasn't been there this year. Let me just say that Toronto holds a grudge against DJ Augustin for that shot in game <laughs> one. It, it's, it's a thing for the Raptors to drop the first game of any series. Like, I remember a joke on Twitter during that series was that the Toronto Raptors would be horrible curlers because they never sweep. And go. that was, you know, defined in game one at home when DJ Augustin hit that three and, and scared the living daylights out of an entire country. Yeah, but you know what? Then Kawhi woke up and was like, oh, yeah. Bless and and then more than Kawhi, Pascal Siakam was like, all right, I'm, I'm becoming a superstar here. And, a new franchise. <laughs> and and I, I really did enjoy pretty much every game from that series. I, I was up in the rafters for game three, and that was a lot of fun. That was one of those games where Kawhi Leonard was kind of forced into taking on a different role. He wasn't the perennial scorer in that game. He had mm -hmm. to be a facilitator. And it was just so awesome just seeing him slice and dice and, and f create opportunities for other players like he did for Siakam especially. So it was, it was pretty cool to see that. And there's no one on this planet who would love to see basketball come back more so than yours truly. But John, if you were in the ear of NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, would you recommend to him right now that the league move forward with this plan to bring everyone together, likely to Orlando in your backyard and at Disney World, to finish off the regular season and then eventually a playoff? Or are you someone who would entertain the idea of just canceling everything altogether and possibly starting in 2021? I'm someone that always errs on the side of caution. So 
I have a lot of reserves about them coming back. They obviously are going to be okay with the idea that someone might test positive. And if they feel like they have the necessary safety precautions in place, they'll, they'll move forward. It's hard for me to say what I would do, per se, because what I would do, I, I don't have millions and millions and millions of dollars on the line here. But I think all the players seem like they're content with going forward here with this Orlando plan. Maybe they'll play elsewhere too, but definitely in Orlando at Wide World of Sports. And, man, it's going to be weird to see, isn't it? Like you're going to see someone crowned NBA champion on the floor with like empty green seats and kind of looks like a high school basketball gym. What a weird society, right? At least go over to Amway Center and play the championship in the empty arena, right? So it at least <laughs> looks like an NBA arena. If the Magic do uh, sneak into the playoffs, they have home court home advantage court, baby. the entire playoffs. Home court, that's right. I mean, look, the Magic are probably going to make it to the playoffs at this point. And, and the Nets, they've, they've shut down potentially Kyrie Irving for the year. So mm -hmm. they could present potentially mosey on in there, you know, maybe reach a seven seed. And, Sneak through, cause some and, damage. Yeah, then they face the Raptors, and who knows what happens at that point. I'd like to think I know what happens, but uh, <laughs> I don't want to jinx anything. You know, I would. I just want to get basketball back at first, and then no we'll doubt. see what happens. Listen, if the Orlando Magic had a healthy Jonathan Isaac right now, and Al Farouk Aminu there, mm -hmm. I, I think we'd be talking about a team that could make a surprising playoff run. But I just I don't see that happening right now. But but the uh, the a other lot thing of is young, talented guys. The other thing is Chris like. These teams are going to go through an accentuated and, and rapid training camp. Who's to say their bodies are going to be ready to play these games and all of a sudden you've got the Bucks out there and Giannis is cold as ice and the Bucks fall to the eighth seed because no one can hit shots? Who's to say? Again, we've never seen anything no, like this before. We've never so seen anything like this. Who's to say? It. Right. It's, again, just bring basketball back. We're, we're dying out here. We need a little sports in our lives, right? Hey, I'm all in on Wednesday night NASCAR. NASCAR? <laughs> it was a blast. Come on, man. Chase Elliott flipping off Kyle Busch the other night. Well, I'm from Canada. There's not a lot of NASCAR <laughs> going know. on around I here. I know. I know. Listen, I'm in Florida. So, <laughs> it, so just cars everything. driving around Listen, in the circle. <laughs> covering, covering the Daytona 500 this year was one of the most insane uh insane experiences in my life, especially with the Ryan Newman wreck. So it, it was wild, and, and I certainly gained a new appreciation for it. Well, then I need to start covering NASCAR because that's something I never have given a second thought to, but I, you, it has the John Alba endorsement right that's now. That's right. That's right. And just, you know, Daytona International Speedway, it's just one of those historic, prolific sports venues, right? Like Madison Square Garden and and... You, the Coliseum, you, and you just you walk into Daytona International Speedway, hundred thousand seats. It's insane. Well, John, this has been a blast, my man. Thank you so much again for joining me. But before I let you go, though, I just like to shoot some rapid fire questions at you, if that's all Let's right. Let's do it. Earlier this month, when former AEW champion Chris Jericho tweeted out that for the first time since 2010, he believed that he was the best professional wrestler in the world, but then he later deleted it. Was he correct in feeling that way? Right now, the best pro wrestler in the world is Chris Jericho. 
I do I do agree with that. Is he the best in-ring performer in the world right now? No, he's not. But all around, he is on a pantheon right now. Like, for me, Chris, pro wrestling and combat sports in general, MMA included, the sport is only as hot as its top stars are. It is a star-driven business. And who is the top star in pro wrestling right now? It's Chris Jericho. John, when you do have free time these days, that you know, of course you're a busy man, what's been your go-to binge watch? What program has your attention at the moment? Free time is very hard to come by, but if I had to binge anything, my favorite show out there is Big Mouth on Netflix. Um, oh, okay. Love Big Mouth. Not for the faint of heart, for sure. <laughs> um, oh, God, no. Uh, it's a little raunchy, but uh, love The Mandalorian. Loved, uh, I enjoyed The Last Dance, again, to kind of binge through that series. I didn't think it was the big greatest sports documentary of all time, like some are proclaiming, but but I did thoroughly enjoy it. Uh, yeah, that's probably what I get to, to binge more than anything else. But I'm also the kind of guy who will, it'll be four in the morning, I'm like, okay, let me go watch that uh, Ultimate Submission match from Backlash 2001, you know, and see, <laughs> and see what's going on, so yeah. Well, now that you say that about The Last Dance, what would you say is is the tops as of sports documentaries? What's the pinnacle for you? OJ Made in America. OJ Made in America. I have yet to see that. The, the 30 for 30 series on OJ? It, it, it was produced in 2016. It's a six-part series on OJ's court case and, and all that. But it's, it's a real stark and deep endeavor into the impact of race in American sports culture. And that was kind of my concentration in college, the intersection of sports, race, and patriotism. So I took a deep, deep, deep interest in that. And I thought the documentary was just outstanding. John, was Orlando Magic forward Aaron Gordon robbed in this year's slam dunk yes, contest? Come on. But per perhaps more importantly, does it even matter? It does matter because the guy was robbed the first time around and he comes back this year and goes all out. And listen, it was an epic showdown. I covered Taco Fall at UCF. The man is as tall as they built. He dunked <laughs> over Taco Fall. Taco Fall seven foot six. And I understand Taco, you know, he, he bent a little bit, but it was a pretty clean dunk over Taco freaking Fall. And Dwayne Wade gives it, get out of here, come on. Is Dwayne Wade public enemy number one in Orlando? I just, it was ridiculous. Now listen, it was just as ridiculous to have all the diss tracks, but but still, yeah. it was, get out of here. I, I, when I, I was on air watching that as it happened, and I was like, that's it, he won. And then I saw the scores, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. A travesty, an absolute travesty. Well, it's like, Chris, if you want your top stars in the sport to participate in these competitions, you need to treat them fairly. Well, you'll never see Aaron Gordon do it again. No, you won't. That's what I love the slander, though. I love the slander. That that diss track against Dwayne Wade at a time like this, <laughs> you'll take it. <laughs> John, if you were trying to convert a non-professional wrestling fan, what are three matches that you would recommend to set them off on the right path? And there's plenty to choose from. Rock Hogan from WrestleMania. In my backyard. In your backyard, we watched that for our watch along for living the gimmick recently, um, and it is just incredible. 
It still holds up. It does hold up. It's the greatest pro wrestling crowd of all time. I'm putting that. I'm putting, trying to figure out which of the Omega Okada matches. Like Maybe the Dominion one? The Well, there are two, the two Dominion ones. Falls. There are two Dominion ones. I would say, I mean, the, the Okada Omega 4 is my favorite pro wrestling match of all time, but it's probably a little too much for like the first time watcher. You know, it's like, yeah, just it's probably a bit much. So I would say the 60 minute draw is probably one of the most emotional pro wrestling matches I've ever seen. So I'd put that one there. So two and then a third. Hmm, this is tough. You could obviously go with like any flare steamboat. But like if I'm trying to really just hook someone on how cool pro wrestling is, I dish out the hard questions. That's what I do here. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Um, I'll say, let's give the ladies some love. How about we go with Bailey and Sasha Banks from Takeover? Ooh, uh, I Brooklyn. Like that I, I was there for that, and I thought that was just the best women's match I've ever seen in person. One of the best matches, period, I've seen in person. And now like, there's a crowd. And it was an awesome crowd, an awesome story that even a casual viewer who has never seen those two workers could invest in Bailey and getting behind her and her cause. So that's that's one. It's obviously not the greatest pro wrestling match of all time. But if I'm trying to get a casual fan to say, hey, you should check this out, I'm showing them that. Well, this show is being recorded on the Friday prior to the big event. But at AEW's next pay-per-view, John, who do you have winning the inaugural TNT Championship, Cody or Lance Archer? I think it should be Cody. Lance can always go after it, but you've built Cody up to the point where I don't think he can chase much longer. He does need some credibility, and obviously he's Cody. He's got a ton of credibility, but this is the highest championship that he can win. And I know he's selfless and likes to put guys over, but in order to maintain that idea that he is a top guy, I think he needs to win this and defend it as a top championship. Cody is a guy who more than anything else benefited probably greater than any other pro wrestler out there from having a hot crowd. And it sucks that he doesn't have a crowd to build off of because this would be an awesome moment for him. John, what's the one park every baseball fan every baseball fan needs to visit before they die? Fenway Park. Fenway Park. Yeah, it's it's one of those few remaining cathedrals in sports that you walk in and you feel the history. There aren't many that are still standing, and Fenway Park was it opened the same week the Titanic sunk, so. <laughs> so what more can you say? And it, it really has maintained a lot of its charm from 1912. So, yeah, I, I think it's Fenway Park. Is it the most beautiful ballpark in baseball? No, but you have to go. John, are you Team Disney World or Team Universal Studios? <laughs> I have annual passes to both, Chris. And Oh, you lucky man. Prior to moving to Orlando, I was probably Team Universal, and I still love Universal but I'm definitely Team Disney now. Ah, uh, my man. I went to Disney my 24 times last year, so that was at least 24 times, so that was well worth my money. So what's your go-to attraction at the park? My favorite park to go to is Epcot, but my favorite attraction in Disney is the Tower of Terror. Tower, oh, so you're, you're like the, the thrill rides. There, oh, yeah. That's one of the more extreme ones. Oh, yes. Love the Tower of Terror. I would say Splash Mountain. That's just my personal I just, preference. The whole thing with like theme park water and like, especially now in like the era of COVID, like, like I, I, just, yeah. I don't know how I feel about theme park, you know, water. Yeah, these times have changed. Yeah. But it, it's, it's quite refreshing during those uh, extremely hot days. I guess you get used to it. You know, the biggest challenge for me, Chris, is keeping my hair cloth up in the summer heat here. So. Oh boy. So, you know, it's, it's a real challenge.
Here's the, well, this transitions to my final question. This transitions beautifully. John, what is the secret behind your immaculate hair? Because Thank after you. shaving my head for 15 years, I'm trying to get my new do on your level, <laughs> but I'm starting to think that may be impossible. So a little, it, it's so funny that you asked this because I was looking at my Facebook uh, memories and it was two years ago, the day that we record this, that I won the 2018 Harry Award, which was given out to the best hair amongst newscasters in your respective state. It was better than Miami, Chris, let me tell you. And uh, it was genuinely just an honor. And uh, it's a, it's out of the shower, a little bit of, uh, you, you hit it with some air drying first, then you hit it with a little bit of a towel, and then you go hair dryer, you know, the blow dryer, for about mm -hmm. a minute or so, get that quaff. Then you, the secret here, and this is what people mistake, people think, oh, it's all hair gel, it's not hair gel. It's hair cream, and you put the hair cream in, and then, you know, for me, because I, I need to keep it propped up to be on air for an 8 to 12 hour period, Of course, uh, I hit it with some hairspray too. Well, one day I may wake up and be fortunate enough to have John Alba's hair, but that day isn't today, my friend. <laughs> but it's graying, but John... <laughs> it's graying. So let me tell you, man, I'm, I'm 27, going on 28, but it's graying and it's graying fast. And that terrifies me. And I've been asked if I would ever put my hair on a line in a match. No chance. Well, I would put good money down to see that, buddy. <laughs> if the day ever comes. But John, I thank you so much for coming on. Again, I was lucky enough to work with you many years ago for WrestlingRumors.net. And I knew back then that you were going to be a superstar, which you very much are. And I'm happy to see that you're doing big things. But before I let you go, my man, tell the nice Littners where they can find you on the web. Sure, you can find me on Twitter at John Alba, J-O-N-A-L-B-A, on Instagram, John underscore Alba, J-O-N underscore A-L-B-A, or on Facebook, John Alba, multimedia journalist. Chris, it's really been a pleasure. I'm uh, super glad that we got to catch up. I remember when you came to see me with my old band, Rock Out, in Toronto. It was a ton of fun, and uh, hopefully we get to do this again sometime. John, you're the best, buddy. Thanks again for doing this. Thank you. And that was my interview with John Alba. Please follow him on Twitter, like he said, at John Alba, an absolute class act in my books and one of the best voices in the industry as far as I'm concerned. Guys, that was so much fun. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show, leave a rating and review where applicable. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and now Google Podcasts. On next week's show, I'll have an old friend of mine, Rachel Bonetta, on to talk with me. You may know her as the host of Fox Sports' Lock It In. I can't wait to chat it up with her. Her and I went to Seneca College in Toronto together, so it'll be fun catching up. I'm very much looking forward to it. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode four of the Walder Sportscast. Thanks again to John Alba for joining me and to my audio engineer, Jason Lung, for all of the exceptional work that he does. He's the man that holds this show together, so thank you so much. Stay safe out there, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and as always, I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Walder Sportscast. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes and follow Chris on both Twitter and Instagram at Walder Sports.